The history of our great nation has been one of rugged individualism. People who have made it, whom we call successful, they have come to positions of control, of ownership. Things belong to them. And so we have protected self-interests and individual rights to an extreme, it would seem. And we also think in terms of individual rights, according to life and death, and Kevorkian would have us believe that it is our prerogative to decide the very moment of our death. But now we're beginning to think along another line, turning our eyes to community, the belief that we need to be united in common causes for our own common good. Government is insisting upon businesses expressing themselves in the community which formerly was voluntary. A recent editorial was entitled, The Revival of Community in America. And it all prompts us to ask, what is that community in relationship to individuality? And what makes it valid? A very prominent theologian of this century from Germany distinguished three ways in which community takes place. The first one, he says, is a very natural thing. It comes by instinct. We form a community in marriage, respecting one another, caring for one another, giving and sharing with one another within the framework of marriage and then in the family. As Robert Frost said, you can always go home. When no one else wants you, the family loves you and will accept you for what you are, regardless of what you did or said. And so there is that instinctive togetherness. Secondly, he said there is a a community that is fostered by common experience. We've been through the same things, the pain, the suffering, the, the grief and the sorrow. It, it brings us together with a, a commonality of interest. Or perhaps we were in the same dorm together in college and we meet many years later. We've been in the military, shared the foxhole or the ship at sea. Whatever it is, when we meet together, there's something that bonds us together. Or we have hobbies that are the same, and we form a club around the hobby, whether it's golf or skiing or whatever it may be. It, it draws us because we are like-minded have the same experience. And this unites us in uncommon ways. It's voluntary. It isn't like the republics of the Soviet Union that were 
force to unite in spite of differing backgrounds and experience. It's more like the 13 colonies with a, a common person who was exploiting and subduing them. And King George united them, in a sense. And they found a common cause and voluntarily formed these united states of America. And then there's the common intellectual interests that unite us. We find it in music and in the arts as we share together our insights and interests. We find it in politics as we join parties and sometimes vote blindly with them because it's a kind of tradition with us. Or we fight for what we think are the economic theories that will solve the problems of the world. There's a unity, a, a community that forms around the leadership of those who present arguments for the things in which we believe and have intellectual interests. And I would like to add a fourth reason why we have community today. And it's because we are focusing upon some felt needs. We want to solve a problem together. And so a community comes together to, to police itself from the threat and the fears of those who are on the streets. There is the gay community, the black community with their interests the social communities, the educational communities. And now the church is being called upon to use its community to heal the, the needs of society. The needs are spelled out in various ways, but they're all needs that will be met. But what happens when the need is met? or when the interest flags. What happens when you are no longer needed and people have satisfied themselves, have found stability now, have overcome their problem? They leave and move on. And so today, the churches that are only meeting needs and exist for no other reason are like the institutions of society that do the same, and people leave as easily as they join, because there really is no community in the sense that the Christian thinks of community. In the biblical sense, there is a community that is intrinsic to being human. It is a very part of our structures of society. And it is a God-given community. If you look in the earlier pages of the scripture, you find its origin. Abraham called to give birth to a nation which then would form a community in the world that would be different and unique. 
And you read on the, through the history of that period and you see his grandchildren moving to Egypt, staying there for hundreds of years so that when they left the country, they numbered in the millions. And there is God led them out providentially by his miraculous power. They were reminded in the wilderness on their trek to the promised land that they were indeed a unique community. And in Exodus chapter 11, they are called a distinct people, having peculiar reasons for their existence. And the reasons that were given were twofold. In the first place, they were to have mercy on the sojourners, that is, on the exiles, on the poor, on the wanderers, the persons who could not make it on their own. They were to be merciful, that is, to those who deserved nothing they were to give. Such was the heart of God that was given to his people from the very beginning. And the second thing that they were to do, they were to enlighten the nations. Opening their eyes to see the blessings of the Creator God, they were to be His people who would generate in others a sense of the divine and the holy. And they were called a separate people, distinct from others, in the world. And so they brought that, that new order and they exemplified it in their conduct. And they praised God that they had been selected of all the people in the earth to be that, that people that would bring him to the nations, his ways, his mind. And so they would come to their holy city for celebrations of who they were. You can picture them coming down the hillsides from the north, from the south, from the east and the west, descending into the valleys and then climbing up to that mountain top called Zion where the temple of God was built. And if you were quiet and you listened, you could hear them singing. And there is recorded for us in the Psalms of the Scriptures some of those songs that they sang together. And here's one of them. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down unto the collar of his robes. A picture of a priest, Aaron, the chosen of God to intercede for his people, to bring the sacrifice for their sins, to unite them in that forgiveness that only God can give, in the unity of brotherhood. What a wonderful thing that God has designated among us, those who intercede for us. And they celebrated this fact. God with us, 
through those of his servants who assure us of forgiveness and an inner strength and peace. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. They sang of the mountain top to the north that supplied the water that streamed down through the valleys, filled the lake of Galilee and on down the Jordan River. And it was in the richness of the waters that life came and produce was given. Lives were strengthened and preserved and made healthy. God with his people, caring and loving, like the walls around Jerusalem, so he surrounded his people with his grace and care. They celebrated this. They were the people who knew that God. They were given the task of mercy to the sojourners, light to the nation. Then in the New Testament time, they gave us Jesus. The true Lamb of God who shed his blood for our sins. The priest who was himself the sacrifice. That oil that symbolizes the Spirit of God flowing down the beard of the old priest and spilling over on his robes, Jesus giving his lifeblood for us. And the Spirit of God coming on Pentecost to penetrate our dark hearts and to live within us. That brings unity. It brings community among us. And that Jesus chose those 12 disciples. And I think that probably none of them would have passed a psychological exam. They just didn't fit together, did they? The compatibility ratio would have been nil between Peter and Simon the Zealot and John who had such a flaring temper and Matthew the publican who extorted taxes for the Roman government. How could these men ever live together? It was only by the, the miracle of the Spirit of God in their hearts that that community was formed. And the twelve and sixty more were sent out by Jesus. A hundred and twenty of them gathered under a roof. The Spirit of God came down and irresistibly they too sang how good it is for all mankind to dwell together in unity. For now, as you read in Ephesians 2, that middle wall is broken. The separation of those who belong to a separate nation exists no more. For men of all nations heard the gospel and each in his own language, on that first Pentecost. 
And today it is multinational and multicultural and multiracial. And that union is because God is the unifying one. Now the New Testament says that we're a household. Those of us who belong to that community, a household of the faithful. We're citizens of a kingdom. We're a royal priesthood, Peter says, a a holy nation. We're the people who bring God and his character into a world that so needs it. For what is the genius of the kingdom? How does that kingdom come into existence? It isn't by need or common interest. It isn't because we see in each other something so desirable that we want to be together. For that kingdom doesn't cease to exist when our needs are met. The unity within the household of the faithful transcends all these earthly ties and all that is temporal. For it is born of God and of Christ. And it isn't so much what Christ can do for us that brings us together. What really brings us together is what Christ has done to us and within us. We know it when we meet each other. It doesn't matter whether it's Wilson Chow in China or Sergei Nikolaev in Russia, whether you're in Singapore, Africa, South America, it doesn't matter. When it's there, you know it. Because something has happened within you and it's changed your view of the world. And everything has become new. You don't see people as desirable or undesirable, as rich or poor, as black, yellow, or brown, or white. It doesn't make any difference. Because you see in people and you sense in people that same transformation, that new birth, that regenerate spirit, and that's what unites us. We are called the children of God. That community, you see, is not based on some earthly thing. It's based upon the divine that has entered our lives and causes us to love one another. Jesus said in his great prayer recorded in John 17, Father God, that my people would be one, united. And that's what he gave his life to achieve. Spiritual love that recognizes that redeemed image in us all. Well, what happens? 
kingdom is born and we, we welcome diversity. Sometimes, you know, there are communities that are very rigid. And either you are like them or you are not like them. They do not welcome diversity. Here is a kingdom, a church, a community of faith that welcomes differences. We celebrate them. God hasn't made us all alike. We have differing gifts from the Spirit. And we respect that and we use it for our only conformity is loving Jesus, God's will, His directives. And it has nothing to do with the accidents of history. Gifted by the Spirit, we find from Him that strength coursing through our inner selves. Paul says we're like a body. And we all function different in description. Organs in the body have different functions. Bones and limbs doing different things, but the eye can never say to the foot, I don't need you. I'll disconnect. Impossible. Because flowing through the body and giving life to it all is the blood. You cannot sever a foot and expect it to function. God has made no secret deals with anybody. Redemption is not a very divisive things that thing that you can have in separation from everyone else. For God gives us a personal relationship with him. But never does he give us a private relationship. It always means community, his family. In this world, a holy nation. Interdependence, yes. Dynamic, oh yes, we grow. We mature, we learn. Ephesians 2.22, it says you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. If you think about that, that community is the community in the world in which God lives and you're part of it. He made you just as you are to be that complementary part of his own living body. And the beautiful part of it, the distinctive part is that that community has a destiny that spans not only the ages of history, but goes beyond death itself. This community will never cease. This community is not at the beck and call of the world. This community the world doesn't understand. 
as Jesus said. But those of us who understand crave to give it away, to embrace everyone. And we take in the sojourner and we give light to the nations that they too might become part of that community. And what a wonderful day it'll be when every single knee will bow and every single tongue will make confession. And that's the day of which we dream and toward which we work. Dear friends, a world without God is unthinkable. And a world without the community of the believing Christian Christians is also unthinkable. And we can leave this place as we disperse from here, knowing that we're part of that community where God comes to life in the world and where people see his love and his compassion and his care. They hear his truth and his will. They find the standards by which People can be free indeed to become what they have the potential to become. We part in that community because Christ lives within us and has changed us. What it takes to live in this world, he's given. And one of the things it takes is community. Let us pray. Lord God, we echo the psalm this morning. How good it is. What a delight to be part of your kingdom, to live together in unity and harmony, to know that you have entered this life in your Son, that we may have life eternal. Thank you for this community of Christ's church, for all that it means to us. May we be your people in this world in which we live, and may the world look upon us as they looked upon the early church and recognized that there's something different. And they need to know, make us willing and able to give a good account and to be maturing members of your community of faith. In Christ we pray. Amen.